Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, Take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. take off like that. You didn't deserve it. I was in my because I, I went back to Houston for a bit. I was I was just dealing with a lot of shit. And you know, I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes I just I get like really down and and kinda negative and I just can't talk to people sometimes. And I didn't want to put you through that. So you ghosted me and left LA because you were in a bad mood? No, I, no, I, I, I yeah, I know, I know that's fucked up. It's, um, I just wasn't thinking straight. And I wish I, I had like a better explanation, but that's, the truth. Nathan, I didn't ask for you to come into my life. I, you came after me, and then you just left. Like it was nothing. Look, I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I just need some time to figure out what I want. Yeah, I get that. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today on the couch to talk about things and discuss feelings and emotions and thought processes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Captain's Couch. This is Byron. I will say the one thing about doing this that is a little bit of a struggle is being the more professional version of myself and not so much the normal funny version of myself to try to get my point across and 
um, convey the information that I want to put out there for you guys. So I'm trying to, I'm working slowly but surely to find a subtle balance between. So one thing I think I will start doing is a theme that I've done the last two episodes is I will be kind of adding some pop culture references and conversations um, to the uh, the podcast to try to link the idea of mental health and more normal everyday settings more so than just me discussing in an application uh, well discussing more in theory um, concepts and diagnoses behaviors um, and then treatment methods so this week um, is a continuation from last week's episode where we discussed uh, self-talk and the more positive end of self-talk um, and things like positive affirmations and um, checking your self-talk and working to correct your self-talk last week was the topic of discussion. So this week, we're going to continue this discussion of self-talk and flip it over to the more negative side of it. So like we discussed last week, the idea of self-talk is that little voice inside your head um, for you kids, for your parents, if you... Um, or listening to this with your kids. Think about the movie. Uh, I just saw the movie the other day. Oh. Man, what is the name of that movie? The Pixar movie. Oh, man. Yeah, what was the name of that movie? I just saw it the other day. Um, Inside Out. That's what it is. Think of Inside Out. Where you have the different types of emotions. And they're all kind of vying for control over the little girl. And they essentially are affecting what her self-talk is, where um, sadness and joy are kind of going back and forth um, with the constant battle, trying to level out what the girl's feeling. And, you know, eventually sadness is kind to somewhat take over a bit while uh, disgust, anger and fear are like left to their own devices and are basically making the girl want to run away because she's angry and disgusted and um, afraid of the new change that she's going through in San Francisco um, while she's having all these conflicting emotions about her move to San Francisco and leave in Minnesota where happiness and joy or well, joy and sadness are kind of conf conflicting with each other not realizing that these emotions are happening together where She's reminiscing over her time in Minnesota happily, but she's sad because she had to leave Minnesota and she's acting out of fear of what's going to happen now in San Francisco in this unknown place and being disgusted and mad at her parents and disgusted that she had to leave her friends and people that she cared about in Minnesota. Um, Self-talk looks kind of like that, where there's chattering kind of voices inside your head that shape how your how you perceive things are going on around yourself how you perceive how you are dealing with situations how overall you see the world around you and you see yourself in that world um self-talk negative self-talk can take many many different forms sometimes it could be grounded in things like i'm not good at this so maybe i should stop trying for my own safety so negative self-talk in a 
that I would say Safeway would be like, okay, I know I can't skateboard. So I remember when EJ was in college, my brother was in college, and he picked up skateboarding out of nowhere because he's always been the adventurous type. Um, he was telling me about his stories of skateboarding around, and he, he actually lived a couple blocks, like a block away, actually on the other side of Hattiesburg High from me and my ex-wife and my daughter at the time. So he would tell me, like, yeah, I just skateboarded over here and started driving my car. And my mind and my negative self-talk, I would say to myself, dude, that's brave of you, but I know I'm not getting on that thing. I would very much hurt myself. So that's negative self-talk in a more grounded way. But often our negative self-talk comes out as just flat out mean to ourselves, like things like. Sometimes, even myself, me feeling like at times that I'm a, a mess up. That's not the word I want to say, but my, my, my parents, at least my dad listens to this. So where I had times and I had moments in my life where I always felt like I was constantly messing up. And I would always often beat myself up and like EJ would often talk to me because I always, I always had moments where I felt like my older brother thought that I was a mess like a, a mess up um largely because i looked at kind of the path that he took and how different mine was and part of that was out of rebellion and part of that was just out of you know we're very differently geared people but my mistakes and my shortcomings i would often beat myself up and then compare myself to my older brother about how much I felt like I was a mess up and how much I thought he and my parents thought I was thought I was I didn't often verbalize these feelings aloud but there would have I, there would be moments where I think I would at least talk to EJ about some of these feelings um, I know my mom uh, used to always laugh about some of my negative self-talk that like when I was younger um, I remember getting a B on a a spelling test or something like that and crying in the classroom and my mom would be like boy like it ain't that bad it's just a B and I would just be devastated because I was always you know putting extra pressure on myself to perform at the highest of heights especially academically um so when we look at self-talk self-talk can often follow the path of things that we look at that are called cognitive distortions and we're going to talk about those cognitive distortions today so we look at cognitive distortions right your negative self-talk basically is your inner dialogue that you have with yourself that may be limiting your ability to believe in yourself or your own abilities and reach your own potential it's any thought that diminishes your ability to make positive changes in your life or your confidence in your ability to do so. Negative self-talk can only be, it can it can not only be stressful, but it, it can stunt your overall success in life and it can stunt your overall general cognitive development. Whether that is seeing that in kids where I have kids who self-talk is so negative to the point that they engage in self-sabotaging or self-destructive behavior or self-injurious behavior where their self-talk is so negative to themselves 
that they literally will beat themselves up. I don't mean in the figurative sense of you suck. I mean in the literal sense of balling a fist and punching themselves in the face. That's how bad self-talk can get. Self-talk can also get so bad that that negative self-talk, and especially for fellas that as I'm working on this podcast and we're kind of working towards gearing some of these ideas towards black men and mental health, check your self-talk because your self-talk doesn't just affect you. It also affects how you see the world around you. For for instance, like the kid that I just talked about with his self-talk, um, his self-talk and his anger is more internalized where his self-talk more is geared towards hurting himself as opposed to what I've also seen is that I've seen my clients whose self-talk is externalized where they take in the stimuli and the things that are affecting them where they feel like people are, are attacking them because their self-talk is so negative that like, I can't believe he said that to me. I'm going to hit him now. And their self-talk forces them, and well, not forces them, but gears them to attack people instead of themselves so like i talked about like i've talked about before when it comes to negative self-talk and it comes to men uh, especially black men your negative self-talk especially around the women around you is vitally important that you need to check it when we have negative self-talk and we have these negative emotions and feelings because your negative self-talk we're going to see show what the toxic effects of those are during this episode when your negative self-talk is more volatile and more damaging to yourself and to the situations around you it can affect people in so many different ways from violence to shutting people out to um, completely crippling relationships and We'll discuss the uh, clip that I put in the beginning of the show for those who aren't familiar with it in a, in a little bit. So let's look at the types of typical cognitive distortions. So I'm actually trying something different today with the recording. I'm using uh, Audacity to record and using my iPad to look up my articles to make it a little bit easier to where I'm not having to minimize the screen in order to keep my articles up and keep the recording going so we look at what cognitive distortions are so they are where your mind puts a quote-unquote spin on the events you see and attaches uh, not so objective interpretations onto the experiences that are happening all around you they're common with people with depression and other mood disorders. So people with anxiety and depression, sometimes bipolar disorder, um, schizoaffective disorder, um, adjustment disorder. I know I'm late throwing out big words out here. Schizoaffective disorder is essentially schizophrenia, which some people know of as a cognitive disorder where people often lose touch with reality and hallucinate. Um, believe things that are not there or hear things that are not there or see things that aren't there or they believe things to be true that aren't true which are delusions um some of my favorite um 
delusions that I've heard in my time when I was working at um, the state hospital uh, were um, the couple of guys that I met that were Jesus, um, an Egyptian king, um, a guy who literally thought he was a car. That was fun. Um, he was annoying. Um, a guy who thought he had a computer chip in his cheek that was a boil. A guy who thought he was a Colombian, uh, Colombian drug lord who we had to stop from um, getting packets of condiments because he would snort them as if there was cocaine. That was fun. He was interesting because when you talk to him, like in person, like if you actually went up and talked to him, he would talk in a regular normal, normal voice, but he'd walk around and talk to himself in a pseudo Latino accent as if he was a Colombian drug lord, like he was buddies with, like he was part of the Medellin uh, cartel with uh, Pablo Escobar in the 80s. It was hilarious. Yeah, it, it it's sad, but it's funny. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So anybody listening to this, I have a weird sense of humor. I'm sorry. Some of the things that I've seen and I've heard in my time of mental illness, it's kind of funny. But um, kind of the distortions basically put a really negative spin on the things that are going on around you and how you perceive and process them. Um, So the idea came up in the 1960s as part of cognitive therapy now cognitive therapy we still see but we more so see now as cognitive behavioral therapy because we look at the link between what you're thinking and what you're thinking and what you're feeling leads to how you behave and that's typically how i work with my clients is using cognitive behavioral therapy by addressing what their thought processes are and looking to change what the thought process is so that we can then work on their behavior afterwards. So what we need to look for is trying to challenge yourselves. And we talked about this last week about trying to challenge your negative thinking on the spot to have more effective and more I don't say normal, but more realistic thought processes of what is going on around you and how you're actually perceiving it. So here's some of the examples of cognitive distortions when it comes to our negative self-talk and our thinking. Uh, All or nothing thinking. This is a type where there's no gray area. I've seen this a lot. Not going to say where, but I've seen this a lot where there is no middle ground and no gray area in between on what your thought process really is. And it's kind of a Star Wars thing, like um, only a Sith speaks in absolutes, where everything is either always or negative um, when you're describing things, such as like, my parents are always mean to me. You know, I always mess up. I never do right in class. You know, my parents don't think I ever do anything correctly. This is all another thing where we know for a fact that that's not true. 
but you're having a difficult time seeing where there is middle ground where, okay, maybe just maybe you did mess up today, but I don't think your parents think that you always mess up. Or maybe just maybe you got stuck in traffic, you know, because it was a bad accident, but the next day you leave the house, there was no traffic out there. Um, Overgeneralization. So we take little small isolated incidents and we assume that every future event will be just like that. Um, so if you think that you go to Popeye's and you try to go get the chicken sandwich and you had a bad experience with the cashier because this is her third shift in a row and she's pulling a double today and y'all been wilding on these sandwiches and she out here looking like a uh, flu game Jordan that maybe just maybe you're never going to go back to Popeye's after that because you had a terrible experience. Um, I know this will sound hilarious like a few months down the road if somebody listens to this is like, hmm, man, you know how long, how much time has passed since that chicken sandwich? Wow, it's crazy how much time flies this whole thing. Mental filter is another one. Um, these are for situations where you gloss over positive events and you take a big giant magnifying glass and you shine it on the negative things. So if 10 things goes right, but a person who has this situation, if 10 things goes right and one thing goes wrong, you focus on the very one, one, one thing that went wrong and not look at the overall picture of this was a large success, largely a success. Instead, you focus in on that one single thing that, oh, my God, this is awful. Now there's one bad thing has happened boom nope it's all bad um this description says same things go right but a person operating under the influence of a mental filter may only notice the one thing that goes wrong so add a little overgeneralization and all or nothing thinking to this equation and you have a huge recipe for stress um disqualifying the positive um, so this is similar to mental filtering. So when we disqualify the positive, uh, we try to minimize the positive, seeing them as one-time things or flukes. Like, <laughs> so if I were to dif- disqualify the positive in my own personal life, I would look at and say, as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, I will take and disqualify the Super Bowl that we won in 2003 and the like five-year run of success from 98 up to the Super Bowl in 2003 and completely disqualify that and say that they were a fluke and then I could just say to myself self well I've been rooting for a terrible team for the last 20 something years but I can't really do that so I have to put it in perspective as I root for a team who used to be good who had a lot of success who made it to the heights, won the Super Bowl, and then kind of rapidly fell apart, and now we're middling in struggle. I'm not even going to say mediocrity. We're riddling in struggle. Uh, But I don't want to disqualify the positive because that Super Bowl was fantastic. I loved it. It was great. Um, So when we disqualify the positive... We are clinging to 
negatives and low expectations of what the future will be. Um, ever ask somebody, try to give them a solution to fix an issue that they may have that they presented to you. And their caveat is always, yeah, but I mean, I don't know if that's going to work for me. Now, I've done it. I'm not even going to lie. Um, but you've witnessed that cognitive distortion of disqualifying the positive firsthand. Um, I've seen it in therapy with some of my kids. Yo, maybe let's try this. Yeah, I don't know, Mr. Byron. I don't know if that's going to work. Jump into conclusions. Um, there's a mat that you jump to conclusions. I love the office space. Um, everybody does this one. Like, if there's not a cognitive distortion that you don't do on this list, this is the one that you're all that everybody does, and we do it all the time. You know, the conclusion isn't always going to be a negative conclusion, but jumping to conclusions is a cognitive distortion. So rather than letting the evidence bring themselves and a to a logical conclusion, they set their sights on a conclusion that they imagine or that they want to see transpire. Um, they set themselves on a conclusion that is often negative and look for evidence to back it up, ignoring the evidence to the contrary. So I had this actual situation happen with a, one of my kids. Um, well, this was he wasn't so much jumping to conclusions, but he definitely was trying to well he kind of was jumping to conclusions all the way so school just started and he had a kid that he had some issues with um when he was in elementary school so he's transitioned to middle school and he has class changes and all of that so this is the only class period that he has with this kid so he immediately jumped to the conclusion that he would continue to have issues with the kid before actually even having any issues with the kid thus far in school so First day of school, go see him in the session. He's like, I want out the classroom. I don't want to deal with this kid. He's going to start stuff with me, da-da-da-da-da. So, and talking to him, like, so has there actually been any issues with him yet? You know, what's going on? Do y'all even sit near each other? And he's like, no, he sits over there. I sit over here. And I'm trying to just mind my business. I'm like, okay, so let's not jump to conclusions. There's no need to really, right now, try to get out of this class. You focus on what you need to focus on and let him do his thing. And talked to him the other day. Everything's going good. Kid don't bother him. And he's getting his work done, so it's all good. Um, magnification and minimization is another one. So this is also similar to mental filter and disqualifying the positive. Um, where you put a stronger emphasis on negative events and you downplay positive ones. Um, this is also kind of a form of worst case scenario thinking. Um, catastrophizing. Okay, I said it. I said it right. I like. I I know catastrophe, catastrophic, catastrophizing. That one's hard to say, but and catastrophizing. It's worst case scenario thinking that once the situation presents itself to be somewhat negative, you immediately go to what is the worst possible way that this situation could play out? And that's how it's going to play out. 
that is a magnification of the negative events that could be playing out in a situation. Um, emotional reasoning is another one. Um, with emotional reasoning, it's somewhat close to jumping in, jumping to conclusions, um, but it ignores facts when drawing conclusions. So emotional reason, reasoners will consider their emotions about a situation rather than the evidence. Then looking objectively at the facts. There's a few good examples I could use for this one, but listen to this one. Emotional reasoning is where you would rather consider your own feelings instead of the evidence that is actually objectively presented that are actual factual. Um, yeah. This is going out to mostly black people, so think about that one. You know exactly where I'm going with that. And for my white listeners, I know you know what I'm talking about. And I know you won't be offended. Because we're friends. We get it. We understand. Think 2016. You're welcome. Should statements. So should statements. And I got into a a conversation with one of my clients um, about should statements. Should statements lead to this thing called unmet demand that often tend to lead to anger um as i was working with him about anger management skills i came across this uh this workbook that i worked worked with him on um when it comes to should statements like i should should could would ought to must have to um these statements lead to what's called unmet demand where you are demanding that a situation play out as you see it to be based upon rules that you are setting for that situation and when they do not play out that way you then become upset because the situation is not playing out the way that you want to um so like i asked him i'm like so when you're in a classroom do you have demands that the class should go the way that you think it should go and he's like well yeah I do. And then you get upset after that, after that, right? And he'd be like, yeah, I do. So when we look at should statements, we're often setting ourselves up for inflexibility in circumstances. And then you're going to put yourself on a considerable amount of stress based upon self-imposed expectations of how situations or how individuals Uh, People in certain situations are supposed to react to you or respond to to you based upon the expectations you have. Um, Last two, well, two more, labeling and mislabeling, um, where we place labels that are often inaccurate or negative on ourselves or on other people, like um, she bougie or, you know, she's a prudish or he's gay or this that and the third you're labeling people in ways that are making them one-dimensional you're labeling them in ways that are overgeneralizations of themselves labeling people labeling cages people into roles that don't always apply prevent us from seeing people including ourselves who they really are 
and this is a huge, huge, huge no-no in relationship conflicts. And we'll talk one we'll talk one of these days about um matter of fact, maybe next week, because it actually can tie into what I'm gonna discuss as far as the clip from earlier, um, where we'll talk about um emotional intelligence, especially for men and how that is important in relationships. Um last thing is personalization. So people who personalize they tend to blame themselves or others for things that they don't have any control over. Um, so people who personalize tend to blame themselves for actions of others or blame others for their own feelings. Um, and this is a bit of projection um, as well when it comes to personalization um, where you're blaming how you have re- how have you have reacted to a situation and you're taking that blame that you should actually label on yourself for something that you did inappropriate or said inappropriate or did wrong you're taking that and you were throwing it on somebody else and said this is your fault you were to blame for how i feel that is personalization and it's also what we call projection all right so now that we have a better idea of what the negative toll, well, not negative toll, but if we have a better idea of what our cognitive distortions are. So now we can take a look at what the toll of our negative self-talk is. So we look at cognitive distortions and how they play into negative self-talk. Negative self-talk can affect us in some really, really, really bad ways. Um, studies link negative self-talk with higher levels of stress and lower levels of self-esteem. And this is something I see in a lot of my kids. Um, especially my, a couple of my young black, well, actually almost every one of my black boys, I'm seeing negative self-talk and several of them and how it's affecting their self-esteem. Um, this can also lead to increased motive, uh, decreased motivation as well as greater feelings of helplessness. Um, this type of critical internal dialogue has been linked to depression and it's something that we got to vitally fix. And it's something I try to work on with each one of my boys. Um, one of my boys who ha- has experienced significant trauma from a very young age and has been now just finally opening up about it. Um, one thing I'm have to start exploring with him is negative self-talk. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is his negative self-talk where it's leading him to make very bad decisions Um based upon this kind of perception of what rewards are and what validation is and, you know, ultimately what family looks like. Um, So we look at those who are frequently engaged in negative self-talk and tend to be more stressed um, in large part due to the fact that there's a reality that, um, Their self-talk is altering their experience, and it is not allowing them to reach the goals that they are setting for themselves. Um, This is both due to a lowered ability to see opportunities around them, as well as a decreased tendency to capitalize on those opportunities. So if you are having more trouble with your self-esteem, with your negative self-talk, you're not going to see that 
you're a viable candidate for a lot of opportunities and things that are going on around you. You'll put yourself down and not try to even go for those opportunities. And I can hear my dad screaming in my ear about me, a younger version of me doing this to myself, which I admit it. Yeah, he was right about that. Um, <laughs> as I'm saying that, I'm like thinking back to like high school and scholarships and stuff like that. Wow, just comes back to you, man. It's crazy. Um, this means that there's a heightened perception of stress due to mere perception and changes in behavior that come from your negative self-talk. So here's some of the consequences of negative self-talk, right? Some of the, to the toxic consequences, right? Uh, limited thinking. Um, you're telling yourself that you can't do something, and the more you hear it, the more you believe that you are unable to do those things. Perfectionism. This is where, especially the shoulds, I should be able to do this. I must be able to do this. I ought to be able to do this. I like, I have the skill to do this. I ought to be able to do this. Um, you begin to really believe that great isn't as good as perfect, and that perfection is actually obtainable. Um, in contrast, so this says here, in contrast, mere high achievers tend to do better than their perfectionistic counterparts because they're generally less stressed and are happy with a job well done rather than picking it apart and zeroing in on what could have been better. Uh, feelings of depression. Uh, some research, research has shown that negative self-talk can lead to Exasperation, 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 exasperation of feelings of depression. If it's left unchecked, it can be extremely damaging. With that kind of negative self-talk, fuels your depression. Uh, and relationship challenges. And this now. I can segue into the clip at the beginning of the show. So relationship challenges, whether the constant self-criticism self makes you seem needy or insecure, or you turn your negative self-talk into more general negative habits that bother others, a lack of communication, or even a playful amount of criticism can take a toll. So for those who've been listening to this now for... 35 minutes now you will get to listen to me talk about the black civil war on twitter known as insecure um the clip at the beginning of the episode was from the season three finale of insecure and yes i can hear my my girl my girlfriend screaming don't talk about it i just want season four of insecure Byron, don't talk about it don't do it please I just want to see season four. I do too, boo. I do too. Okay. Still willing to, to watch, uh, rewatch the show with you. Just, just throwing it out there. Um, but so we see this. So as you hear the scene, and if you've watched the show, um, Issa's in this interesting place. Who's the main character? Issa Rae is also the main character of the show. She's also the creator of the show. So Issa's in this interesting place where in season three, she meets this guy who, she picked up an Uber named Nathan. Um, nice looking guy, light skin, light brown eyes. Handsome fella uh, from Houston. Shout out to H-Town. Uh, so they meet and, you know, he's real nice to her, whatever, whatever. And he ends up getting to a fight with a dude. And the Uber 
who was smoking in Issa's car, which she was like, hey, there's a no smoking policy in the car, blah, blah, blah. So they get into a fight. Um, she has to file a police report for the incident, and a uh, report was, was filed on on her through Uber. Uh, Nathan's nice and leaves her a tip, this big tip, and eventually tracks Issa down and becomes her love interest for the season. Um, becomes the inspiration for her to leave her job that she's been at for the last five years that she's not happy with, um, to start this block party that she wanted to do, which she's actually was successful and able to do, um, and starts this new budding romance, um, with, uh, with Issa and us watching the show as we see Lawrence, who is Issa's ex-boyfriend, who, Broke, they broke up in season one, come back into the picture where we didn't think we would see him again this season. We see them interact and meet and kind of go their separate ways as we see this new budding romance and hopefully the first time Issa's really going to be able to move forward with her life away from Lawrence or Daniel, who was her other friend who she's been back and forth with for the last season and a half, where we think we're finally going to see Issa move to this new relationship and situation. An investigation gets launched about the fight that happens in her Uber, and Nathan disappears. So Issa then proceeds to go through this whole thing of trying to figure out where he is, tracking him down, finding his homeboy who they went to Coachella with. He's not there. So we get to the finale, and we get to this conversation where it's Issa's 30th birthday and Nathan buys her flowers and he basically lays it out to her and apologizes for disappearing and going back to Houston because as he explains it, he was going through a lot. And as he says to her, he tends to get down and negative and he can't really talk to people. In the end, Issa tells him, look, I need time to figure this out. Nathan is ex- is a prime example of how damaging negative self-talk is. Now, I understand from his perspective that in a way, he probably was really beating himself up for the situation that he had gotten into. And we're not given information about Nathan, whether he's a criminal or anything like that. We know that he's a barber. He's from Houston. He moved to L.A. Um we're given information that he, for the most part, seems about his, seems to be this relatively well put together dude who, you know, found his way to Los Angeles and is doing his barbering, his haircutting thing. Um, so we're not presented with information that like he's a felon or a criminal or anything like that. We're simply presented the information that this incident happened with the fight. He disappeared largely because he, I imagine, was feeling guilty about the situation. And began to start kind of negatively beating himself down about everything that was transpiring. He says, of course, he says in the clip that he was dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. So we're not exactly sure what all else was going on other than the fight. And that ultimately, that negativity in his thought processes made him leave L.A., go back to Houston, and not even communicate with Issa what was going on. So... Instead of actually opening up and discussing what he was feeling or what we, what he was going on, 
his negative thinking fueled his feelings of depression, caused him to have let have more negative thinking. And those two things led to the issues in his relationship with Issa, where he didn't have the wherewithal to communicate, hey, so this is what was happening. This is why I left. I needed to go back and kind of clear my mind. And this was like, I want to say in the showtime, it was like one, it was like two episodes, but it seemed like it was at least close to like two weeks to a month's time where he disappeared. So Issa was left hanging for like a considerable amount of time wondering what happened to Nathan. And in the end, he, you know, just basically was like, hey, so essentially I battled depression. And I thought it was interesting because I think going into the finale, we all were trying to figure out, and I know me and uh, my friend Courtney, I think we talked about it last year, that we were trying to figure out in a way how they could resolve this situation. And the way they resolved it in a way that made him a sympathetic character more than anything. Where in a show where each one of these characters are extremely flawed, where Molly has her insecurities and relationship issues dealing with, you know, a polyamorous situation that she knows is not what she wants, but she's taking it for now and her awful dating history. I still think she should give Jadena another chance. I'm just saying. Um, where I'll discuss. Uh, communication and relationships um one of these episodes especially for the perspective of black men um highlighting Issa and and lawrence's issues where you know they kind of drifted apart because there was not they weren't communicating as well they weren't working together as well and the relationship got very unbalanced because of Lawrence's job situation um to Daniel and Issa with their weird history and all that stuff um fantastic show if you haven't watched Insecure on HBO um but when we look at the character of Nathan that is an interesting take on what depression may look like in a black man and it was very interesting that that lack of communication is what ended up causing a breakdown in the relationship and basically him explaining it that I get down really down and I get really negative but you know the issue is that it came out of a place of consideration where he says to Issa that you know I get down I get negative and I didn't really want to put you through it however it becomes a problem because he didn't actually actively communicate that to Issa. He didn't even give Issa the opportunity to make the decision of, okay, I can deal with that and I can be here and support you as you're kind of going through this process. Instead, he just disappeared without saying anything, which that caused the rift in their budding relationship. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up here. Um, when we talked about negative self-talk and we talked about cognitive distortions, 
Um, I gave you a nice brief synopsis of uh, season three of Insecure. Um, if you're interested in checking out the show um, on HBO, if you love the show. Um, but I, it, I thought it was definitely an interesting, um, very interesting way to kind of broach and bring in kind of mental mental health and mental illness in the black community, especially for black men. Um, because he's the first character on the show that, well, he's the well, he's the first. No, he's the second character actually, because Molly actually has gone to therapy. Um, and Molly's going to therapy mainly because of her relationship issues, um, and trying to sort out what's wrong with her that her relationships keep playing out in such negative ways. Um, Nathan is like the first male character in the show that we are presented that clearly has some kind of mental health situation going on that he is actually vocalizing but he did it in a place where he should have done it sooner um it might have should have done it sooner or he should have done it in a way of more proactively to head off the 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 difficulty that him and Issa would end up having because of his inability to actually vocalize what he was dealing with so with that being said we're going to be wrapping up for here today thank y'all so much for listening to the captain's couch didn't have any five star reviews this week so be on itunes you're listening on on itunes um drop a five star review for your boy um you catch the podcast on apple Podcasts, stitcher um spotify google Podcasts, a whole bunch of other places i keep forgetting i'm still working waiting to hear from podcast of color and iHeartRadio about joining the ranks over there um but yeah thank you so much for listening guys uh, drop a link or drop a message in the uh, the dms uh follow the show on twitter at cactus couch um follow me on instagram and twitter at captain ingenuity um yeah thank you so much for listening guys Take it easy. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1. The first one to feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise. You've outcasted. Meaning, now you have a choice like that.